This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. My name is Ron, and uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject of my life as worship. It's a very relevant topic to life, and I want to invite you along on that journey. If you've never been to New Life, uh, you'll, see, you'll see everybody else is taking notes, and that's kind of what we do here because it's our desire to learn. Many people are surprised to find that the Bible has a very, very practical teaching on every subject that's relevant to life. But when you stop and think about it, it shouldn't be a great big surprise because if God is the author and the designer of life, If the Bible is God's word to man, well then you would expect the designer of life to give instructions about every important aspect of life, and sure enough, God does. So this morning, we're going to explore that subject, my life as worship. As Bob has already said to you, we are in the middle of a three-week journey called I Worship, and many of us Maybe most of us, nearly all of us, are working our way through a daily devotional. There are a few back on the table. They look like this. If you didn't happen to get one, you can just kind of jump in midstream. And I can tell you that you can pull up the podcasts of the daily devotional and get all caught up in one session if you want to and do it the easy way. Um, But... But there's no shortcut to worship. You can listen to the devotional, but at the end there's a response from you. Because above all, worship is not just learning, it's an experience. And uh, so I want to invite you along on that this morning. Uh, We've inserted into your program a half sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes. Uh, So I would invite you to take those out. It will allow you to journal what you're going to learn this morning. And uh, that will help you remember it later and hopefully apply it in your life. I know that as I studied through the material for today and so forth, there were some challenges in there for me, and I hope that there will be some challenges in there for you as well. Now, looking way back, 11 years ago to the beginning of this church, God gave us a foundational truth, and it's undergirded everything that we've done in the church and really all that we believe. And this morning, I want to pull it back up and put it on the front burner for all of us. It's a real simple saying that just packs a punch. So I'll say it, and then we're all going to say it together. And and the statement goes like this, real God, real people, real life. Let's say that together, ready? Real God, real people, real life. Now what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that God's always real. There's no, there's no duplicity with God. There's no deception with God. There's no smoke and mirrors with God. God's just real. And He tells us the truth. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly about life, he, he lays it all out there for us. Real people. That's the big question. Will we be real with God or do we play games with God or do we have smoke and mirrors with God or will, be, will we be consistent with God? Will we be persistent with God? Will, will we not try to act like we hope God thinks we are? Or will we not 
you know, come to church and put on a face so that everybody thinks that we're something that we'd actually like to be but aren't. It's that whole concept of being transparent with God and saying to God, this is me, this is the way I am. And, and parts of me I love and parts of me I'm not all that thrilled about. And so I bring it all to you and I give you permission to work anywhere in my life that you want. I won't shield anything from you, won't hide anything from you. Now listen, when we get real like that with God who's already real with us, then He enables us to experience real life. Not just getting out of bed and going to work and coming home exhausted and getting back in bed. or Not just hauling the kids to soccer or whatever else it is that we do. And going through the motions day after day after day. And not just seeking one thrill after another thrill after another thrill. Hoping that somewhere along the line in that string of thrills that we find something that seems real to us. But God wants us to experience solid life. Dependable life. Vibrant life. And so everything I'm going to teach you this morning is about that real life. You know, the real variable in that equation is the middle one. It's a little tougher to be real with God than it seems on the surface. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's not easy to drop your guard. Even in things like worship. In fact, I think sometimes worship is where we struggle most to be real with God. And so I want you to take a look at the people in this skit as they struggle with how to be real with God in their worship. And then he goes... Moo! You get it? Yes. It's an interrupting cow. That's what he does. He interrupts. Yeah, that's really a knock right? down joke, not a knock knock oh, joke. <laughs> hey, Lord. Hey, Drew. Oh. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. What are you doing? It's me. It's, it's Jesus. Lord, we take up our cross for you every day. Well, well thank you, but um, the cross is where it begins, not ends. Now we're at the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Guys, I just want you to be real with me. You are the air I breathe. The air I breathe. You are the air I breathe. The air I breathe. Uh, Drew, I think it's great when you worship me. Oh, yes. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you. It's just that sometimes uh, it seems like you're putting on a show. Oh, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for putting on a show and for being fake. Okay, yeah, uh, I I forgive you. Oh, good. Oh, praise you for your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you. Guys, just just say what you would normally say. Praise-a-lu-ya! Praise-a-lu-ya! No, like if we were just talking, just just say what you would say. Okay, Um, let's see. Um, Drew, tell us a joke. (laughs) What? Yeah, like you were before, you know, tell us a joke. Thou art holy, O Lord. Yeah. That's not a joke. Oh. Oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. Look, guys, what are you doing? Lord, we're living our life for you like we always do. Oh, don't live for me. Live in me. When you live in me, you understand who you are and and what you're living for. Uh, You know, I just want something deeper, but if if this is all you want, then... 
There's way too much truth in that, isn't there? Can you imagine how church would change if Jesus actually showed up physically on a Sunday morning? There'd be people singing who've never sung before. There'd be people kneeling who've never knelt before. Yeah. Wow. Like I said, sometimes it's a little tougher to get real with God. I think maybe especially in the area of worship. So this morning we want to start and, um, and, and just look at the concept that's woven all throughout Scripture. That actually God's design for us is that our entire life would be worship. And so this morning, I, I, you know, Jesus often taught in parables... So I'm going to teach you in parables, object lessons, or whatever you want to call them this morning. And so we have four of them up here. And uh, so let's take a look. And the first, I would say, is the parable of the switch. Okay? Yes, I know. It's a circuit breaker, really. But that's a kind of switch. All right? So there you go. A switch has one basic design. And that is either to turn something on, if you want it on, or turn it off if you want it off. That's its only purpose in life. And most of the time when switches work, it's good. When we want the lights on, we turn it like that. The lights go on. When we want the lights off, we turn it like that. And the lights go off. And, and, and you use switches every day in many, many things. But you know, there are switches that are not good. For instance, you have a form of electronic switch embedded in your heart that keeps your heart beating. And if that switch ever gets turned off, are you in trouble? Big time trouble. Yeah. You see, the lesson is this. For things that are supposed to be 24-7, switch is not good because it needs to always be on. And I want you to understand this morning that the Bible is very, very clear, and that is worship is to be a 24-7 thing. And I'll talk to you in just a few minutes about how that's supposed to look. But right now, I want you to understand worship is to be a 24-7 thing. We shouldn't have a switch in our life. Now I worship, now I don't. Now I'm worshiping, now I'm not. You can see it in the drama, right? They had a switch. You know, and life was going on as usual, but when Jesus showed up, they hit the switch. And they didn't know how to hit it. They didn't know how to actually turn it off as long as Jesus was there. But, yeah. Now, God wants us to rest. He wants to rescue us from that kind of living and that kind of understanding of what worship is. For worship is supposed to be a 24-7 thing in our lives. Let me read you a passage of Scripture that says it very clearly. Paul writes and says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. And certainly, in what Bob just taught us a few minutes ago about communion, what a, the greatest illustration of all that God has ever done for us, He gave His life for us so that we could be forgiven. Now, because of that, I want you to give your bodies... That's an interesting word picture there. How would you give your bodies to God? Well, here's how he says. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. 
I want you to underline that because that's really important. And let's take the word living and let's circle the word living because I want to come back to that in a minute. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Now look at this. This is truly the way to what? Worship him. Now I want to come back to that word living. Because I want you to understand that when it comes to life, there is no switch in life. A thing is either living or it's dead. You have anything at your house that's living but it has a switch on it? You hit the switch and now it's alive and then you hit the switch and it's dead? No, not if it's truly living. It's either alive or it's not alive. It's a 24-7 thing. We laugh at the old Bill Cosby routine where he talked to he threatened his brother no his parents threatened him when they were going to leave the house and they said you know do this and this and this because if you don't you know the big monster will come out and he will kill you till morning right there is no such thing as dead till morning right you're either alive or you're dead and i think that's why god put that word in that verse he wants our worship to be living worship. That means it's always on. It's always alive. It's always functional. It's a 24-7 thing. There's never a moment in our lives where we shouldn't be conscious of the fact that we are not living for Christ. We are living in Him. You know, one of the things that the 21 days of worship is doing for me is it's increasing my awareness of that truth. In fact, yesterday, our devotional, the title of it was, My Life as Worship. The whole concept. And there are three principal ways in which that works, which I'm going to get to you uh, with you in just a minute. But let's take a look at the key understanding or key principle of this. And that is, worship is to be a lifestyle, not an activity. When you make worship an activity, it's a part-time thing. And when you make it a part-time thing, it becomes a religious activity or religious busy work as opposed to something that actually changes our lives and everything about our lives. So how does that work? Well, principally in three ways. And all three are taught over and over again in Scripture. And they are life transformational if we truly get it. And if we truly embrace it into our lives. So let's take a look at the first one. And the first one I call the lesson of Jacob's ladder. You've seen this little guy before? You've seen these, right? Do they fascinate you? Yeah, they fascinate me. I don't know how that thing just keeps ending in the same place, but it does. You know what's really interesting about this? When they opened King Tut's tomb, they found one of these in there. You realize that's old. Every time I see this thing, I ask myself two questions. How does that work? It keeps falling but staying in the same place. I don't know how that works, all right? The second question that always comes to mind is, who figured that out? Yeah. Now, anytime you see something... And it's working the way it's supposed to. And it's amazing. You led to those two questions. How does that work? I wonder who made that. 
Now, this is real simple. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six identical blocks of wood connected with three identical ribbons except for their color. So we have ten moving parts in the whole thing. Now, compare that with a human body. What do you think? It's pretty simple, isn't it? You know, when I look at this, I realize it doesn't take much to amaze me, right? <laughs> Ten little moving parts, and I sit and watch that thing and figure, yeah. yeah. Here's the principle I want you to get. And that is, when we as human beings are functioning the way we are supposed to function, it's truly amazing. It is. And I don't know whoever invented this thing, but I'm quite sure that when he or she got it invented, they sat there and did the same thing I'm doing and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Look at that. And they got some joy out of that because it did something that they wanted it to do. Now I want to take you to God's Word, the Bible. I want you to read with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but I'm going to read to you exactly the fundamental purpose of mankind. It's the reason God made us. Here it is. God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You know, God created this beautiful world and then he made man and he made woman. And he said, now enjoy my world Rule over my world, manage my world, and make it sing for me. And you know when we do that? When we live in loving relationships with each other, when we get married, when we have children, when we spend time mentoring our children, loving on our children, building those relationships, and our kids grow up, and they get married, and they have kids, and we're loving on our grandkids, and loving on our kids, and our kids and our grandkids are loving on us, and we're reaching out to our community, and we're helping those people that are at risk, and we're giving to, to, to organizations that help people who are at risk, and we're sharing, and we're working together in partnership, and we're... Th- and, and, and we're working to make the world a beautiful place when we're decent, healthy, functioning, happy human beings who are living the way God designed us to live. God goes, man, I love that. That's worship. When we're doing that, our lives bring worship to God and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Here's the key understanding right here and that is... I worship God just by being a functional human being. And I had you write in functional because you don't worship God just by being a human being. You have to be a functional human being. Now, years ago, someone wrote a novel that was turned into a movie called Frankenstein. Okay? What happens... When a human being decides to be dysfunctional, 
There's no getting married and loving each other and having kids and mentoring the kids. We have the potential within us, I wrote in my notes, to become spiritual Frankensteins. And we can destroy everything around us because instead of being a functional human being, we're now what? Dysfunctional human being. Now, at church, we don't make you wear labels that say functional or dysfunctional, all right? That's good, don't you think? But the truth is, all of us have some level of dysfunction, which is why we need the grace of God. But here's also a companion truth to that. When you decide to become a follower of Jesus... He takes whatever level of dysfunction you have in your life and by the power of His Spirit living in you, He begins to change what is dysfunctional into what is functional. So that the longer you follow Christ, the less dysfunctional you are and the more functional you become. Isn't that a great thing? That's an absolutely great thing. Boy, that's what enables us to be transformed. So what I want to say to you today, if tomorrow you are more functional than you are today, your life is worshiping God. However, if tomorrow you are less functional than you are today, what does that do? There's not much worship of God in that. He wants you to function. Wow, what a great thought. So there you go. Worshiping God as a lifestyle, right? My life as worship, it only happens when I choose to live functionally. Well, there's a third thing that's up here. And it represents one of my favorite things, okay? You can tell I like to eat at nice restaurants. Can you not? Right? When the server comes with the towel over the forearm and your little cookie, your little crumb duster, and all that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to get a Big Mac, all right? Not that there's anything wrong with Big Macs, but why the towel? Well, the towel is a symbol of service. It's why the person who comes to your table with a towel over their forearm is called a server. The Bible says in John chapter 13 that Jesus got up from the last meal that he shared with his disciples before he was crucified. And the Bible says he took a towel and he knelt and he began to wash their feet. It's a symbol of service. And so it is that service has a wonderful way of worshiping God. I want you to write this somewhere in the margin of your notes, okay? And that is this, that motives always affect outcome. Motives always affect outcome. Poll of you ladies. Is it a great thing for your husband to bring home a dozen roses unannounced? How many of you think that's good? Yeah. How many of you don't know why that? No, never mind. All right. Yeah. Okay. 
That was a trick question because most of the time that's good. But if your husband walks in the door and he's got a, he's got a dozen red roses and they're beautifully arranged and he meets you at the door and he plants a big old kiss on you and all that stuff and then a little bit later he says, now about that motorcycle I want to buy. You think that might taint the roses just a little bit? Yeah. Or worse yet, I have a confession to make. Hmm. You understand? Motive always affects outcome. Now, let's talk about service. There's so many reasons why we could serve. And, and the Bible says this. Take a look. It says slaves. And I know this was written to a particular group of people, but the principle behind it fits everybody. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve whom? As you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time. I want you to underline that. That's one of the motives for serving people, is you're trying to please them. And not just when what? They're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Now work with enthusiasm. Here's the second motivation. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember the Lord will reward each of you, each of us, for the good we do, whether we are slaves or whether we are free. So in my, in my notes, I wrote this. Two motives equals twice the joy. And that's a really important concept for us to understand. Let's go back to the roses, okay? If I decide to stop by the store on the way home and pick up a dozen roses for Monica, and I'm doing it just because I love her, okay? No motorcycles, no confessions, just because I love her, all right? And I walk in the door and she goes... Is it my birthday? What, what day? You know? No, 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 dear. Just because I love you. Well, it was a great thing that takes place there. Okay? My motive at that point is to please her. And guess what? She's pleased. And when she gets over the shock, she's pleased. But now let's just suppose for a minute that I have two motives for doing this. One is, I want to please my wife. I want to bless her. I want to give her some surprise that, that, that just warms her heart. But at the same time, I do that because I also want to bless God. For God is the one who taught me to love my wife. And God is the one who has showed me what love means. And I don't make my wife earn the roses, but I give them to her because I have chosen to love her. Now, I bless my wife and I bless God. Two motives, twice the joy. But did you know you could actually have three? Let me give you a third motive. What happens when I decide to serve someone because I want to bless them, because I want to bless God, and because I want to develop good character. Wow. I get three times the joy. So I bless this person, and they are blessed. 
Because they can tell that my desire is truly to bless them. I'm giving them service with no strings attached. I'm not expecting anything in return. I'm doing it just because I love them and just because I want to serve them and just because I want to bless them. And they're truly blessed. God looks down from heaven and God says, Ron, man, that's awesome stuff. Man, you are living like Jesus. You're living like my son who truly blessed everyone that he encountered. And God is blessed. And guess what? When I look in the mirror, what do I see? I see a person who's changing. I see a person who's becoming less and less like Ron and more and more like Jesus. Wow. Three motives, three times the joy. So here's the key understanding. I worship God when I serve with both an earthly and a heavenly motive. And I want to challenge you to take that with you to work this week. Because many of you work in very ungodly circumstances. But did you know you can serve God in the midst of ungodly circumstances and you get twice the joy out of your work? And let's go to number four. I'm holding in my hand a cross. It's the universal symbol of Christianity. It's the universal symbol of Jesus. And it represents so much. So what is it about the cross that becomes an amazing thing? Well, no matter where you go, people identify that with Jesus And the corollary in our lives is this. The day that we decide to become a Christian, we take that name. We decide to become a what? A Christian. What are the first letters of Christian? Christ. You know, it's an interesting thing about identity. My car is a GMC. And the amazing thing about identity is you can't ever switch it off. It just is. Everywhere I drive my car, it says GMC. Right? It never says anything else. It always says GMC. And wherever I go, people always connect that car with GMC. And when it works well, they like it. And when it doesn't work well, they go, what, what brand is that? I don't want one of those. And you know, even if I were to take the GMC emblems off of it, would it no longer be a GMC? It still is, isn't it? Because it is identified with General Motors Corporation. Well, now guess what? The day that you and I decide to become Christians, we accept the identity of Jesus, and wherever we go, people identify us with him. And if you decide to take that label off, does that change anything? It doesn't change anything. People still connect you with Jesus. You still represent him. In fact, take a look at this passage. And I've just lifted uh, just a sentence and a half out of this passage. But it says, we are Christ's what? Ambassadors. God is making his appeal for us. We speak how? For Christ. 
Well, I want us all to be able to absorb that truth that wherever we go, when I'm pulling into the gas station and I'm just filling up my car with gas and, and you know, the credit card reader doesn't want to read right. Or it says, you know, receipt printer out of order. Go get receipt inside, right? And you stomp inside. That's a third week in a row that stinking thing has been. When are you going to fix it? Who are you speaking for? Yeah, you're speaking for Christ. Even though you think you're speaking for yourself. When you drive, okay, you drive for Christ. Yeah. Sometimes, I, you know, I alternate. Opinion. Sometimes I think every time you become, you know, everyone who becomes a Christian needs to have a giant fish thing put right on the trunk of their car, right? And then other times I think, oh God, please don't do that. (laughs) But the truth is, the identity is there. Okay? And the cross is our identity. We're identified with Jesus. And that's what He really wants. And when we get real with Him, And when we get real with God, and we get transparent, and God begins to transform how we live, we represent Him well. Take a look at the key understanding. Here it is. I always represent more than myself. I always represent more than myself. For when I represent Christ well, my life is what? Worship. And when I don't represent Christ well, it's poor worship. Maybe it's anti-worship. I'm not sure. But it's not good. So this morning as we close, I want to take us a couple of directions because I, I, I want us to understand this. For those of us that can point to a time in our life where we made that decision to become a Christian and we've already accepted the label of Christ and we wear His identity and, 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 and so forth, then the real question for us should be, what's next? As you look at these four things, no doubt there's at least a challenge in one of them for you. You know, maybe for you, worship has been something you switch on and off. When you come to church, you bang the switch. But when you leave church, the switch goes off. And you never really think about your life as worship again until you walk in the door and they crank up the worship band. You go, oh yeah, turn on the worship switch, clap my hands, and away I go. Okay? Well, God has a challenge for you in that. Maybe for you, the challenge is I've never thought of my entire life as worship of God. Not just when I'm doing holy things and sacred things and reading the Bible and praying and kneeling or whatever, but my whole life is worship. That if I will become a functional human being and make my marriage a functional marriage and make my parent-child relationship a functional relationship and make my relationship with my neighbor a functional relationship and make my relationships with my coworkers functional to the best of my ability, if I'll become a functional human being just living the way God intended is a wonderful source of worship for Him. I become like a miniature billboard or testimony to God's divine power and creativity and intelligence and imagination for I function the way He created me to. Or maybe for you, it's the towel. 
and learning how to serve people without strings attached and learning how to serve and work with not just an earthly motive but a heavenly motive as well and hopefully one that the character of Christ would be developed in me as well. Or maybe it's being reminded that wherever I go, I carry the identity of Jesus with me. Whatever it is, I want to pray a short prayer. Father, in this space of time, would you help those of us who have made the decision to become Christians, would you help us to know what the next challenge is? Some area of our life that you've already spoken to us about, even in the middle of this message, and we know that that's what's next for us. So that, Lord, when we wake up tomorrow morning, and it really is Monday morning, and, and the alarm goes off earlier than we want it to go off, and we head off to our job, and, and it's, it's back into the daily routine and trying to get the kids up and ready, and sometimes all the tension that comes with all that and getting everybody out of the house on time. God, would you help us to do that in the mode of worship? That our lives could truly be worship. God, speak to us. Give us ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then I have one other thing I want to say. I said a while ago that I pulled just a sentence and a half out of a passage of Scripture. I want to read you the whole paragraph because I want you to understand. This is like the whole Bible in a nutshell. And here it is. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Wow. The old life is gone. That's the part where I was like Ron. The new life has begun. That's the part where I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And He has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling. The word reconcile means to reconnect. Okay, So for God was in Christ reconnecting the world to Himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconnection. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. For we speak for Christ when we plead. And here's the basic message of Scripture. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So for those in our audience this morning who have never made that decision, there it is. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. It's the reason God wrote the Bible. It's the reason Jesus came to earth. It's the purpose of your life here, and it's the purpose of your life in eternity. I'm going to say a short prayer. I want to pray for you that this would be the day that you decide, I want that for me. And that you take on the identity of Jesus. And you begin to wear His name and begin to experience that life transformation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this moment of time, would you speak to those of us who maybe have hung around church or maybe we just came the first time today But would you speak to us about the truth about life? That we might understand if we go through this life 
and we get everything but you, in the end we leave it all here. We can't take any of it with us. But if in this life we get you, that we then are truly rich. For we have found not the fountain of youth, but the fountain of life. And that we can then be changed and transformed. So God, would you help us to make that decision right now? We offer our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.